Yeah, we're, uh, we're going to have a lot of fun here tonight. We're continuing our series that we've been looking at the last few weeks, uh, Big Rocks, uh, here at True North, which even more than that is to say, as followers of Jesus, what are the things that are most important? And today we're going to continue that conversation around the idea of leadership development. Now, is anyone here for any of our morning services? We had a, we've, we've got some people that were either at Mullaloo or Marawa. Awesome to have you back again tonight for our, for our PM service. And for, for those of you that this is your experience at church for today, that's awesome. It's so cool that we can be here. And, and my message tonight is going to be well, what we've come to call a standalone sequel that's going to continue the conversation from the great message that, that Dean brought this morning around what it means to be a person that is developing as a leader. Now, and Dean framed this so well this morning, talking about the idea that for us, at leadership development exists around the context of who Jesus is, right? That we want to be Christ-centered leaders. Now, if we're going to be Christ-centered leaders, I believe that the place that we need to start is by making Jesus' last words our first priority. I'm talking about the Great Commission. 2818, Matthew, if you haven't heard it before, Jesus comes to a group of believers, his disciples, and he says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the who? I would have also accepted the Holy Ghost for those that are a bit more, you know, something dramatic. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. You know, the Great Commission, you can talk about it a lot of different ways. You can talk about it as being about discipleship. You can talk about it about as believers but passing on the gospel. But it was such a cool way to think about leadership and Christ-centered leadership is that what Jesus is actually talking about here is multiplication. He's saying, take the gospel that is within you and multiply it. Now, I love this word, multiplying what Christ is already doing in us. And I think it's such a great framework for what it means to grow as a leader that's carrying the gospel. Someone that has the capacity to pass it on and to multiply it. Now, tonight, we're going to get pretty practical. Who likes practical messages? Who likes practical things? Who likes taking notes? Come on, Lisa, I need you to give me something. You're literally taking notes. I like taking notes. This is, this is going to be a, a great message if you like just some practical tools to say, okay, what does it mean for me as a follower of Christ to grow as a leader that has the capacity to multiply the gospel that I'm stewarding as a person of faith? Who's ready for four principles to develop as a Christ-centered leader? Does that sound good? Man, I, it sounds good to me. If I could just get these things right, I'd be sweet. The first one, and this is what we're going to start with, if we're going to be leaders that have the capacity to multiply what Christ is doing, is this the first thing that we have to take hold of that's so important? And it's simply this. Number one, character is key. Character is key. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that I'm in a context of leadership. I've got the, the gospel. Jesus is alive in my life, and I've got a heart to see the gospel multiply out from who I am. Now, let's also say in this scenario that I'm a person that has bad character. I'm really negative. I use a lot of bad language. I'm constantly getting frustrated with people too quickly. I get angry. When I get angry, I get emotional, and I insult people. I've just got all these things going on. 
basically what I'm describing is that I've got bad character. And just if, if you haven't met me, this isn't like a monologue. I'm not describing myself. This is a, this is a hypothetical. And if you have met me, you know I'm joking, right? Yeah, they're like, yep, you sized yourself up pretty well there, Phil. Great self-awareness. <laughs> now, one of two things will happen. If I'm carrying bad character and seeking to multiply the gospel that's in me, one of two things will happen. One, I won't multiply anything. Because people will look at me and say, I do not want what that guy is all about. I look at that picture and I don't want to take anything from that. In fact, I want to back away from that picture. That's one possibility. If our character's bad, we're not going to multiply anything. The other possibility is perhaps even more frightening, is it will multiply things that are not good. So for me, in my heart to multiply the gospel that's in me, if I carry that alongside character that's bad that I'm not working on, what I'm actually going to multiply is the negative things in my character. It's the people that I'm hoping to bring the light of the gospel to. In any context of leadership, this matters so much. You know, one of the greatest leaders that we have in, in Scripture in the Old Testament is King David. And in Psalm 78, 72, there's this incredible picture of what it means to be a leader. And it says, th- it says this, speaking of David, I think we've got it up on the screens. Check this out. David led the people with integrity of heart and skill of hand. He led with heart and he led with hand. He led with character and he led with competence. And what comes first? He led with integrity of heart. Now, here's what we've got to understand. That if we're going to be people that multiply the gospel that we are stewards of, we have to prioritize character. It doesn't matter how much ability we have. doesn't matter how many leadership skills we have. doesn't matter how wonderfully we can communicate. Or it doesn't matter as a church all the wonderful things we can do. If we don't have character grounded in who Jesus is, if we're not committed to becoming more and more like Him, a lack of character is going to cut off any competence that we have at the knees. You know, sometimes you might have heard an expression like a leadership glass ceiling. It's kind of that limit that you can't see, but it's there. You know, bad character, when it comes to multiplying who we are, it's not a glass ceiling anymore. It's a concrete slab, and it's going to collapse on us and our capacity to influence. You know, the church throughout history, you look back at different moments and you can see those concrete slab moments, can't you? Character's got to come first. So who's ready for a personal character heat check? Heat check, and if you're, you're not familiar with basketball or whatever other sports that may be used in. Is it used in there? Just basketball, good. That makes me feel better about it. But, but if you're not familiar with that, we're going to have like a, just a personal health check of character. I want to speak to you about three places where character is revealed. And here's something really important when we go to these places. These aren't things that can trigger bad character. It's how we sometimes think, oh, I wouldn't have done it unless that happened. It's not things that trigger bad character. It's things that reveal the character that is already there. You follow me? Okay, number one. Character is key. Number one. There we go. Character is revealed when under pressure. We kind of know this, right? That we operate at a certain baseline. But when all of a sudden the pressure turns up a few notches, some other things get revealed. Here's the most baseline example I can think of. Let's say you've stubbed the same toe the second time in the same day. What comes out of your mouth? (laughs) Real talk. The pressure's turned up. There's a little bit more stress. And perhaps... 
maybe not you, but maybe the person next to you, might say something that you might not normally say in that situation. Now, when pressure turns up, and all of us are going to face seasons of life like this and challenges in different ways, whether it's pressure at work, deadlines, whether it's different things that we're facing, when the pressure gets turned up, when the stress gets turned up, sometimes we think that's a trigger for bad behavior in my life. But what it actually is, it's revealing what's at the core there, what's at the bottom that we don't always see. So who are you in those moments of pressure? Who are you in those moments of stress? The next one where character is revealed is in private, in private. I couldn't decide whether to tell this story, but I think I'm just going to go for it. And, and Dean, you can give it. I saw you like, <laughs> you know, what, one of my favorite seasons of life is dating. I just think it, it's just such a humorous season of life. It's just a gold mine for funny stories. I love talking to, to single people that are in that season of life and hearing their funniest stories. And, and I want to talk about a dating faux pas. Can I talk about a dating faux pas for a minute? And this, this is real talk. You want real talk? We're going there. I, I want to take you back some 11 years to my first date with my wife. It was at, at Dome. Uh, not a great location, really, for first date. I was really, you know, just trying to impress her and went to Dome at Hillary's and got her a coffee, you know, something pretty inexpensive. And <laughs> but but what what uh, what my uh, now wife didn't know is that, and I'm sorry, this is real talk. The night before, I had some let's call it some reasonably intense Mexican food. And and as I was going, well, as I was going into that date, I was feeling a little bit of pressure, if you know what I mean. And to follow this through, if you're on a date and you succumb to that pressure. If you succumb to that pressure, it is the social faux pas that's difficult to recover from. Not impossible, but difficult. You know, say you do go down that road, I reckon you've got three options. The first is to go the Iceman, right? So say, you know, you relieve the pressure, completely involuntary, and, and then you just go stone-faced, nope, that didn't happen. <laughs> you just don't acknowledge it at all. You're like, no. And you just got to hope that the same person plays it, the, the person you're with plays it the same way. You're like, nope, that didn't happen. You're right, that didn't happen. Let's continue. That's option number one. You go the Iceman. Any, I'm not going to call for a response. I'm happy to embarrass myself. But So one is the Iceman. Then the next is the genuine apology. <laughs> like, look, you know, I, I, I had this meal last night. It wasn't what I was expecting. I... I'm just experiencing some things right now. I'm just really sorry. Uh, I'm really sorry. Or, or you could you could uh, put a little sugar on it and say, you know, honestly, I just get nervous uh, around beautiful girls, and it causes me to to do this, right? Come on, write that one down. Note takers, smooth. Girls, would that play if, you know, we relieve the pressure? <laughs> Lisa says no. She's uh, She's a little upset that I'm talking about this at all, I'm sure. <laughs> And the third option is just the raw confidence. Raw confidence. Oh, jeez, that was a bit rough. And you, you continue on. You continue on, just raw confidence. Yeah, this is what I'm about. This is going to happen eventually. And you can decide based on who that date is with, which one you think is going to, you know, successfully navigate that situation. But here's the thing. On that first date with my wife, Natasha, you're probably thinking, oh, he must have done something terrible. <laughs> it must have been trade. But I fought through it. I fought through it, successfully got through the whole thing. Now, normally at the end of the date, maybe you sometimes think about, you know, do I go for a hug? Do I go for a kiss? I was just like, I need to get away from her as quickly as possible. 
Hope, hopefully that didn't, you know, communicate anything I wasn't intending. And, and then, of course, when I got into my car, uh, I felt comfortable just to, in that new environment, just ease that, that pressure. Now, there are things that we do around people. Sorry, other way around. There are things that we do by ourselves that we never do around people. Now, in that example, there was an external force. The girl that I was with, I'm not talking about my, you know, anything in here anymore. There was an external factor. Is that better? Factor? Yeah. An external factor. This person right here. And because of that person's presence, I altered my behavior in a particular way. But when that person's presence wasn't there anymore, I acted differently. Now, how real is this a picture of our lives? What is the degree of difference in your life, in your character, when you're around others and when you're by yourself? Maybe when we're around other people that encourage and understand our faith in Jesus and the heart we have to live for Him, and when we're not in those environments. What is the degree of difference between those two things in your life? It's a revealer of character. And the last one is in the small things. It's in the small things. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I had the, the great privilege to get along to uh, uh, youth ministry here at True North, True North Youth, TNY, and it was so much fun hanging out with all the guys. And there was this moment right at the end of the night where all the leaders were gathering around and doing a huddle as we do in all of our teams, and we love coming together in teams and serving in teams. And, and as they came together in teams, I got to be a part of that moment. And I saw on the carpet like a really gross, smashed-in piece of chewing gum. And I looked at it, and I was like, oh, man. And it was funny. One at Riley looked at me. He's like, don't stress about that, Phil. It's going to be okay. And I, I, I heard him, and I was like, well, I'll be stressed about it if it's there tomorrow. And, and I looked at it, and I thought, okay, someone's going to clean that up. Who's it going to be? And the guys huddled. They, they celebrated all the things that had been awesome about that night. And then the, the different leaders dispersed and did different things. And I sat there, and I watched, and I waited to see what would happen with this, with this gross bit of chewing gum. And sure enough, one of the leaders had disappeared off, gone and gotten a bucket, got some chewing gum removal stuff. I'm not really sure even how to approach that because I was never that kid. <laughs> and she came back. And within a minute, no one had asked her to do it. She saw it like every one of us saw it in that huddle. And she said, I'm going to do something about that. I'm going to clean it up. She came and she cleaned it all up. You know what? That is a small moment that reveals great character, isn't it? What do those small moments say about our character? How do we treat people from which we have nothing to gain? How do we react in situations that we'd look back on and say, oh, that really didn't matter which way I did that or not? You know what? It did matter. Because those small things are the revealer of our character and what we're going to do in the larger things, right? The small things matter. The next principle and the next thing I want to talk about is this. Number two. Never stop learning. Someone say, never stop learning. Anyone finishing up year 12? <laughs> say it with me. Never stop learning. You're like, I'm going to stop real soon, Phil. I'm done with learning. <laughs> Don't be done with learning. <laughs> never stop learning. You know, this is incredible. there's an incredible power in being a person of humility that is teachable. 
You know, when you look at all different leaders across all different fields in all different organizations, there's a couple of common threads that connects all of them that you can say, yeah, that defines a high-capacity leader. And one of those that is more recognizable than almost anything else is that all high-capacity leaders are committed to a lifelong journey of learning. They're teachable. You know, one of the great leaders in the New Testament, Peter, he was the guy that, that really founded the early church, which is the father of the, the church that now spread all over the world. And we hear about that story in Acts. But before that story, we had the story in the Gospels of how Peter shaped and grew in his character. And there was all these moments and so many more that you can imagine as you read through the Gospels where Peter made mistakes. He did weird, silly things. He made dramatic, bad calls. And Jesus so often spoke back into his life. And in every moment, Peter had the humility to learn, to be teachable, and to course correct his behavior. You know, two of the greatest pictures that I love of Peter, one in particular, is at the Last Supper, where Jesus, taking the very nature of the servant leader that he was and, and symbolizing what he was about to do on the cross on behalf of all of us, he kneels down and he washes the feet of the 12 disciples. You guys remember that moment? You've heard, heard that story. Incredible picture of our Savior. And he washes the feet of the disciples. And he comes to Peter. And what does Peter do? Anyone? Any, any pastors on the... He says, no, Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. I'm not having that. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. You're the, the promised Savior. You're not washing my feet. And then there's a bit of back and forth, and Jesus says, you know what, Peter? If I don't wash you, you've got no part with me. And here's a moment where Peter could say, you know what, Jesus? I understand who you are, and I'm not changing my point of view. I've worked out what the best way to approach my faith in you is, and I'm not going to change it. Peter could have said something along those lines. But what Peter does instead was, he's like, okay, if that's the case, then wash my hands, wash my face. I always imagine, I read into things in the Bible. I always imagine Peter in this moment, like tearing his garments. Wash me, Lord. And Jesus, exactly like we would be in that moment, like, whoa, mate, just your feet. Just your feet. That's all that's needed right now. But in that moment, it reveals this incredible heart of teachability. And then in the lowest part of his, uh, in his life, during the crucifixion of Jesus, he denies even knowing him three times. And then after the resurrection, Jesus comes back to him. They sit down over breakfast. And he says, Peter, do you love me? He writes, do you love me? Yes, Lord, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And Peter learns, he grows from being a person who denied having even any connection with Jesus to being a person that would champion the growth of his church because he held on to this teachable heart. He didn't let guilt or shame or the sting of failure stop him from growing as a person of influence. But he stayed humble. He owned the things that he did wrong and he grew in it through the, the, the voice of Christ in his life. You know, being teachable is such a powerful thing. Can, can I talk about Dean for a moment real quick? No? Hey, can, Lisa, can you veto Dean's no? Can I talk about him for a moment? That's fine, thanks. You know, one of the things that, that I love about Dean, and one of the things that, that you probably wouldn't know sitting in our services, is that, that Dean is one of the greatest leaders that we have in the Christian church in our city. 
And, and I genuinely believe that. I really do. That's not just something I'm saying because, you know, I, I want to impress you or anything like that. But, but I, I genuinely believe that. I've met a lot of leaders in our city, and Dean is fantastic. And there's a lot of things that you could point to and say, oh, Dean, he's charismatic. He's relational. He, he's, he's a gifted communicator. But you know the thing that underpins all of that is the fact that Dean is a person that has committed his life to being teachable, to taking every learning opportunity that he can do. You know, something really cool, Dean, and you'll actually like the story. I'm telling you this fresh right now. So there's a, a trip called L21. Michelle's just come back. How good is it to have Pastor Michelle back, by the way? So good. I'm like, what's been going on? It's great to have you home. And, uh, and, and Michelle went on a trip called L21, which is like a leadership trip, going to the States, go to a whole bunch of churches, talk to some pastors, and hopefully grow as a leader. And, and Michelle went on that trip like a week ago. I went on it about two years ago, and Dean went on it about five years ago, something like that, five or six years ago. And within about five minutes, as me and Michelle were both talking about that, the thing that we both said was that I can see how much Dean learnt from this, and not only learnt from it, but put it into practice for the benefit of our church. Now, that's true of his life in so many places. He's doing a doctorate. He's doing all kinds of things. He understands that, that any situation is an opportunity to learn. So what are the spaces in our lives where we're learning, where we're growing. It could be in the conversations that we're having. Am I prepared to learn from some of the mistakes that I made? Or do I take pride in my position? Sometimes it's called escalation of commitment. Excuse me. Are we prepared to learn? Are we prepared to grow? You know, I want to give you some things really quickly if you want to be a person. If, you, if in your life right now you ask yourself the question, where am I learning? Where am I growing? And you think about that, and you're like, I'm not sure if there are any spaces. Can I give you a couple of resources? Is that okay? Can I give you some tools you can do? You know, one of the things we've been talking about a little bit recently is the, the Version Bible app, which is an incredible tool. It's just Scripture right there with us. And there's a, there's a particular reading plan on there that I want to draw your attention to, which is called Lead Like Jesus. Can someone say, Lead Like Jesus? Man, that's how I want to lead. Anyone else want to lead like Jesus? Beautiful. Lead like Jesus, 21 days of leadership. Do we have that on the screen? Beautiful. So you can, you can even, ser- no, don't search for it now. You'll get distracted. Uh, but you can search for that later. We've got it on the app as well. You can check that out. It's an awesome 21-day uh, reading plan through, through Scripture. You know, another thing you can do if you like, uh, if you like reading, we've actually got, uh, we've got some books that we'd love to make available. And, and I just say this, if I, I'd say only take us up on this offer if you're genuinely committed to reading our book. <laughs> You know, Dean made an awesome comment this morning about loving books where the title tells the whole story. And, but it's true, right? So many Christian books are like that. That's, that's not even a thing. And uh, no, it is a thing, yeah. Uh, but we, we've got a few copies of this book called Spiritual Leadership by a guy named Oswald, Oswald Sanders. It's Oswald, right? Oswald. Oswald. Am I saying that weird or have I just said it too many times in a row? Probably a bit of both. <laughs> but anyway, it's a great book, Spiritual Leadership. And if you want to read a fantastic book on leadership, I'd encourage you to come and come and talk to me after the service. And if we've got some, we've only got a few copies, which is why I say make sure you really want to do it if you want to grab one. Uh, but the version app. And then for some of you, like, man, reading's hard. And I love podcasts. I love listening to things. You know, a couple of things that you can write down in your notes even now if you're wanting to, to grow and stretch as a leader. Check out the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast or the Craig Groeschel Leadership Podcast. Just both great things as they talk to different leaders uh, and an awesome opportunity to grow in that space. The third thing 
Ready for number three? Mm. It's to put people first. It's to put people first. If we're going to multiply who we are as people of influence, we need to learn what it means to put others first. You know, one of the verses that's become so, so core for us here at True North in in our teens, and and I guess in that leadership space, is Philippians 2, verses 5, and and in particular for tonight, verses 5 to 7. And it says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And listen to this, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Think of that in the context of leadership and influence. He's God. He's got like the highest credentials there possibly is. But he's not using that to advantage to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of the servant, symbolized a little earlier in our story in the washing of the disciples' feet, being made in human likeness. What Jesus did, he, he came into our world seeking personal connection with people in a real way. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. God stepped into our world to look at us eye to eye, face to face, and speak mouth to mouth. And Jesus changed the course of human history more than any other person, connecting each one of us back to the Father. And he did it completely focused on people. Completely focused on people. You know, one of the, the, the cores that we love to talk about here at True North when it comes to, to our teams in particular, and when it comes to, to sometimes the, the what we do in our teams, because uh, there's a whole bunch of things that go on in the life of our church, so many incredible spaces of ministry and teams doing amazing work. But, but here's honestly why we believe teams are so important. It's because we recognize that that jobs, those tasks, the things that we're doing, that, that we have those in place. We have those jobs to get people done, not people to get jobs done. And here's the heart behind that, is to say that we genuinely believe that within the context of our church right now, if you connect in a team, and my life has been blessed by this, no question, that your journey of faith will actually be better off for it. That it's not about that if I'm in a service team, my, my first thing that I did at True North Church, I was what we called back then an usher. I was like on the service team. Anyone in the service team here tonight? There you go, a couple of service team, but you guys are awesome. That was the first thing that I did, very first thing I did as a teenager, and I was something of a punk back then. Uh, I remember being, you know, cheeky to my team leader and, you know, being like, yeah, I won't do anything, any of those examples, because some of you young guys, you'll do it to me. And uh, I was a little bit cheeky, but that was the very first thing that I did, and I, over the years, I did so many different tasks around that, so many different things around that. But the fact was, the reality was that when I put myself in that environment, God actually did something in me. That it wasn't about all the different things that I physically did. It was about what God was doing within me spiritually as I connected with people around me that were passionate about the gospel being multiplied in their lives as well. You know, can I encourage you, if you've never thought about getting into a team, get into a team. And this is the reason we say it. It's not because we, we desperately need more people in all these different spaces, because that's not the case. But what we desperately need is more people growing in their passion for Jesus, getting alongside brothers and, brothers and sisters in faith and saying, this matters so much. 
which leads me to number four. Live with passion. Live with passion. You know, people who, who lead, who, people who are able to influence others, people who multiply what is within them are always people that have got a certain thing clicked in their heart and in their soul, which reframes the entirety of their life. Passion that runs like a golden thread through everything that they do. You know, in the Old Testament, there's a guy called Caleb. I love his story. We named uh, our little son after this guy's story. That, that was before I knew that in Hebrew, Caleb, the, the, it actually means dog-like devotion. <laughs> but, I'm, you know, I'm like, he's devoted to God. That's what I read into that, right? That's fair. Oh, please, dog-like devotion. <laughs> no one bark at my son. No one bark at him. Now, Caleb, he was one of the 12 spies that went into Canaan, which was the promised land, one of the the big stories of the Old Testament. God promised this land. And and Moses sent 12 spies to say, hey, check out the land. See if it's good. See if we can do it. Caleb and Joshua, they come back and they say, we can do it. God's promised it. We can take hold of it. And the other 10 come back and say, oh, it's too hard. It's too hard. We can't do this. What God's, what God's promised is out of reach. We can't get it done. And the people, they listen to the 10 negative voices over the two voices that say, God's called us to this. We're going to do it. Now, what happens is because of that, the people miss out on God's promise for another 40 years. Caleb, when he came back, was 40-odd. 40 years go by, and finally the people get it. They've got faith in what God's promised, and with passion, they cross over the Jordan, following the presence of God. And here's what Caleb says, now in his 80s. Check this out, Joshua 14, verse 11. My goodness. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out 40 years ago. I'm just as vigorous, someone say vigorous, to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day 40 years ago. You yourself heard that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. 40 years go by. Now let's be real about Caleb right now. He's in his 80s. And he says, I'm still as strong today as I was 40 years ago. You know what? I don't think he was. We'll talk. I don't think Caleb was quite as strong as he was 40 years earlier. I don't think physically he was quite as vigorous. But you know what had grown in him every single year? Was passion for what God had promised. Every summer, every winter, every new year, he held on to that promise. A thread that steered the direction of his entire life. And through 40 years of waiting, this is his response. I'm just as strong. I'm just as vigorous. The passion's still there. I'm going to go and take out the most difficult territory, the most challenging thing in what God has promised us. It wasn't because he was still as strong. 
It was because he was more passionate than he was back then. When we talk about stewarding the gospel, when we talk about developing as leaders with the capacity to multiply the gospel that's within us, you know where that passion comes from for us? Is how seriously do we listen to the words of Jesus that he spoke on that mountain? How seriously do we listen to it? When he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Can I invite the team to come back up? How seriously do we hear those words? When he says, there is no power greater than I. Every authority, every dominion, every challenge is under my feet. So go. And multiply the gospel that I've put within your heart. You know where that passion comes from for us as followers of Jesus? It's to say Jesus didn't just say those words to a group of believers at one point in history. But Jesus spoke them to me. He said, John, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So go and multiply the gospel. He said, Josh, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. There's nothing greater than the name of Jesus. So go and multiply the gospel. You know, tonight I want to invite you to hear those words of Jesus fresh and anew, as if it was the first time you've ever heard it. And if it is the first time you've ever heard it, you've got to know that there is nothing more important for us to take hold of as followers of Jesus. He's speaking that to us tonight. Come, Son of God. Go, take the gospel, multiply it. See people baptized. See people grow to become more like me. That's why we exist as a church. That's why we come together and pray. Can we stand together tonight? And we're going to sing an awesome song. And just before we do that, I want to pray for us. You know, if you feel God speaking to you, just invite you to close your eyes. Maybe hold your hands in front of you. And maybe for you, it's that that passion that's missing in who you are as a follower of Jesus. I want to pray that passion back into your soul. That Jesus would intersect with your life in an incredible way here and now in this moment. Let me pray. Jesus, we recognize together that all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to you. And Jesus, we recognize together tonight that you're looking at each one of us and you're saying, take my gospel and multiply it. God, I pray that we would receive those words anew tonight. God, may they light a fire of passion within us to grow as people that multiply what you've done in our hearts. 
God, we bring all glory to your name, all praise to your name. And Jesus, as we worship you in these next few moments, God, I pray that you would be speaking to each one of us. God, we want to be people that are growing, people that are teachable, men and women of character, that care about each other, that care about others, and are passionate about the name that is above every other name. We praise you, God. We're going to worship Him together.